Thank you, Brother Vaughn. That's a blessing. We've been so blessed these last several weeks with the ladies' meeting and the men's meeting and just a wonderful thing. And I hope you don't take, as, as Brother Danny said, don't take for granted all that God is doing here. We're praying for a great summer. And I just want to throw a few things out there tonight, if I can. We, we are in need of workers for our June evening vacation Bible school or kids camp. It'll run a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I need workers and helpers just in many, many areas. And I'm going to kind of defer to Brother Danny where he's going to put people there. But we're probably in need of a dozen or so workers on this. And this is kind of a beta for us, our first time we're trying on the evenings. A lot of vacation Bible schools will be running simultaneous at that time. So really not sure what, what the numbers will be like. Also, if you're not familiar, this area is incredibly, the parents got their kids enrolled in just about every single thing you can think of as far as immersion type of classes and things like that. But we're trying to get this going. I'm planning to have on the Tuesday, Wednesday, all the parents, we're going to do a great, just a hard work in trying to get all the parents in so we can have a, uh, an outreach to the parents to get the gospel to them. We had some saved last year and the year before, and we're praying that uh, this year we'll see more saved and added to the church. So if you can help out, see me or Brother Daniel about that. And we'd love to get you involved to some capacity, help you with the teachers and other things like that there. And then I'd like to ask, I'm going to dovetail on what Brother Denny said on the building, and I want to thank you for those of you who stayed on your monthly pledges and have got, have given just kind of a, just off the, off, you know, just off, off the record, just a, an additional uh, giving. And we didn't have a giving by faith offering banquet this year. Uh, this is normally time we have, it, and it's kind of an exciting time for our church to do that. But I kind of felt like we needed to be in the building before this happens. And the timing of our going to the building will also be the same time we have our missions conference. And I want to encourage you first that if you're already participating, stay on it with us and uh, keep being faithful. We need to, we actually need to raise those pledges up a little bit here. So we're just on target of meeting the debt. I want to just stay on target making our payments, but also getting the debt paid down. <clears throat> but would you pray about over the next, you know, couple of months as far as God working your heart and making a special offering, additional offering for that. We are going into our missions conference. I'm excited about the speakers. We have, we have a number of, uh, of speakers and this year will be a little bit more of an emphasis on, uh, on, on Latin America and uh, on Africa, we've got we've got three, actually four great preachers coming for that. Uh, Dr. Sisk will be one of the highlights preachers. We have uh, Brother Barnhouse, who's been in Africa a number of years, doing a great work for God. We have uh, we have another another brother coming, Brother Jacobs, who's who's of Indian descent, who started churches in India, but's come back to America to start churches to really reach uh, folks here, so we could we could send more laborers back in the harvest field. And uh, we have along the way this summer, we have some nationals doing a great work for God. I've got a, a a national missionary that's from the Philippines that we met, spent some time with. We've actually vetted him through several pastors. We already know that have, that, are, that uh, we've asked, checked him out a little bit there. Well, not a little bit, probably thoroughly on stuff. But this missionary uh, felt the call of God to go to Vietnam uh, 10 years ago, and uh, he has started three churches. They're all thriving. He has started several extension ministries on top of that. Plus, he's got two schools associated with that. Just doing a great work for God, and he's going to be here in the United States. He actually is coming for a school convention that invited him to come, and I asked him to come be with us for a few days there. And we've got another one being out, out of Dr. Gisalva's church out of Cebu, uh, Bible Baptist Church. They're probably the largest Filipino church in the Philippines, uh, Independent Baptist Church. They're running about 10,000, 15,000 people. And this man's going over to Zanzibar, which is a very strongly concentrated Muslim area, ready to do the work of God there. So again, these men have been vetted a little bit. I'm a little leery of some of these national missionaries if they haven't been vetted. But we're, we're asking God just to really work this year. And I'm really praying God will work in our hearts in the midst of a building program and try to meet budget and everything that our, we'll see our faith promise take a major increase this year. We've been kind of stuck for two years and we really want to see it increase. I'm praying that building be open so they'll have classrooms open for our missionaries to do full display. 
displays, a number of things like that that will just help all of us get a vision for the world and what God's going to do. And we're already in the throes of working on next year for our 20th anniversary for our missions conference next year and have lined up some great, great missionary preachers and veterans that are going to come in that just will challenge our heart for the Lord. So you be in prayer for those things. A lot of exciting things happening. But you know what? I need you here. Amen? I need you here, and I need you to be involved. And I need you just to kind of just say, okay, whatever it takes, we're going to do that. You, you follow that. Now, I'm praising the Lord for that. All right, let's stand. What book of the Bible do you think we're in tonight? Don't look at your notes. Second Samuel, Second Samuel 14. Share your Bible with someone tonight. I want to say while we're standing, I'm very thankful for Pastor Jeremy Jean being with us these last few weeks. And uh, aside from just the preaching on Sunday, he's just been a blessing. And I've just... God's hand is on his life. I think the best is still to come for his church in, in Beijing. I hope you remember to pray for him. He's one of our missionaries we're supporting, and we're praying for God to use him greatly. Second Samuel 14, go all the way down to verse 28. <clears throat> all the way down to verse 28. Are you there? Okay. Now, you guys were sleepy this morning. It wasn't time to. It was sleepy in the auditorium this morning. I mean, it, you, you could hear a pin drop. It was so sleepy here. But this, this evening, you've had a few hours to wake up. Get a little lively tonight. Amen? Amen. Be a little lively tonight. Let's just have a great service this evening. Verse 28, follow as I read, please. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Now, you might want to write your margin there. He did not see his father for five full years. He was in exile for three years. He came back. He did not see his father for two full years. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to have him sent him to have him sent to the king. But he would not come to him. That is, Joab would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore, he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house. And he said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. I call your attention tonight to verses 29 and verse 30 this evening. Absalom, and you want to make a notation in your notes or in your Bible tonight, is the king's son. He's the king's son. Say that with me. He's the king's son. Absalom, the king's son, called for Joab once. He would not come. He called for Joab twice. He would not come. The third time, Joab's barley fields were burned. I'm going to preach a message tonight entitled, when God burns the barley fields. When God burns the barley fields. Now, Father, tonight we need to hear from you, not from me, but from you. And I pray that you'd cleanse us from all filthiness, the flesh, and superfluity of naughtiness. God, there's a lot of naughtiness in our hearts. 
And I pray that tonight your word would be a mirror, that we would not look into the glass darkly. And we would not be like the man that James said that did not behold what manner of man he was, but walked away, forgot what he saw. We need to see what you see. We need, Lord, to just a truthful revelation from God, like the Canaanite woman said to Jesus, truth, Lord. And tonight we pray that you deliver us from foolishness, from silliness, from naughtiness. We pray tonight that you deliver us from being lethargic and stuck. God, we're in the midst of a building program. We need revival. We need the fires of heaven tonight to burn away the dross of sin. God, we need to be absolutely on par with you this evening. And God, tonight I've asked you for liberty. I've asked you for power. I've asked you, God, for help. I can't do it tonight. Lord, I just can't. I don't know what to do. But Lord, you do. And I pray for the fullness of the Spirit tonight that you would just speak with us tonight. And help us have a family time around the family altar of God. And tonight I pray for purifying of God the, the, this 2960 Merced Street Heritage Center. And tonight I pray that you would do for us like you did for old Isaiah in the year, the year the King Uzziah died. That we would see the Lord high, holy, and lifted up. And see those cherubims, those seraphims, that as they surround the throne of God, se- celebrating God's glory by saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Father, tonight I pray that there just be, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit would have liberty with which to speak tonight as we do this Bible study that would help enlighten us and speak to us about the working of God in our lives. And we pray for these things of you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Right here in our greater Bay Area, <clears throat> this past September and this past October, we can still see very vividly the Napa Valley fires that gripped that whole Napa Valley area and Santa Rosa. And I don't know about you, but for those days gone on, for those several days, it was a very airy thing. It was kind of eerie one, those several days, if you remember, that the skies were kind of darkened there because of the ashes that of all the fires were burned. Neighborhoods went up in flames. Homes were lost. Businesses were lost. Power went out. It was just an awful thing. And just as you think about that Valley Fire, uh, the ho- they, they estimated over 8,900 homes were lost. Some of them are still in the throes of trying to work out with their insurance company of getting their, their homeowners insurance of just getting construction and valuations and things like that done. Memories that they had in those homes were burned up in flames. They, they were lost. Um, the total, you know, we look at the total number of homes lost and the value. They estimate in the billions of dollars as far as property damage. They estimated 43 plus lives that were lost. What's most, was most disturbing of the lives that were lost of people who were in their homes who had opportunity to leave but never left their homes. And some of the stories that came out of that are very riveting. There's a story of a 14 year old boy who died trying to outrun one of the fires in Redwood Valley while his sister and parents stayed home and suffered burns. There's a story of a 28-year-old woman who used a wheel, who had, was using a wheelchair but didn't make it out of her apartment. And her father, who lived next door in Santa Rosa, made it to the hospital. with He fortunately made it, but with serious burns. A couple who had just celebrated, if you can imagine this, their 75th 
wedding anniversary died in the Napa County fires. Uh, one man said this. He said, my dad's best friend was calling and calling my parents, but they were completely asleep. And he talked about how the fact by the time they probably even picked up the receiver, they had parrot, they were about to perish in the fire. And here were people where the local fire authorities and local emergency crews went to doors. They literally knocked on doors and said, the fire's coming. You've got to evacuate your neighborhoods. And some of them would decided they would, quote unquote, weather the storm and stay there thinking it would not touch them. But they stayed and the fires ravaged through their neighborhoods and took out their homes, took out their possessions, and in many cases took out their lives. Right now, as we speak over in the big island of Hawaii, the Kilauea volcano is brewing and smoldering. There's thousands of feet of ashes and smoke in the air. Good portions of that area have been encompassed by the fire. I don't know about you, but having driven that area years ago, my heart goes out for property owners by there who've lost their homes and not even sure if the insurance is even going to cover their homes. That was their dream home for many of them. Many of those people have lost their homes and some who were about on the verge of losing their lives, they thought they could outrun and outdistance this fire. And it's story after story after story when a fire comes thinking we can outlast the fire. Now tonight, we are looking at a fire situation. If you think about accidents and many things you and I would fear, probably one of the things that ranks at the top list that we would all be fearful about is the threat of a fire. And tonight we're looking at a passage of Scripture, a true Bible story, a true historical account that occurred where a fire occurred to get a man's attention. A fire occurred to get him awakened. A fire occurred to stir him in his life tonight. And I want you to see tonight in this passage what happens when God burns our barley fields. I want you to notice three things tonight in our study. First of all, I want to build some background for you this evening. We have some new Christians and tonight here. We have some growing Christians. We have some people not familiar with this passage of Scripture. They've never heard it preached as I'm going to preach tonight. And I want to build some things up. Number one, if you'll write this down, I want you to consider with me this evening the instructional function. I want you to consider with me how God has enabled us to hear from God. God has enabled us to hear from Him. God has given us what I call an instructional function to work in us. Number one, would you write this down? God has given us a conscience. Now notice the background here. In this story, we find Absalom in, going to the beginning of the chapter, which I don't have time to preach to all that because I want to get through Second Samuel for some new series I want to get on. But in the beginning of the chapter, Amnon has committed a crime. He has violated his half-sister, Tamar. Absalom, who's her brother, is very angry. Both Absalom and Abdon are the king's sons. Absalom is brewing with anger. He's let two years go by, and he plots the murder of his half-brother Amnon as revenge for the, for the assault on his sister. And so Absalom invites all the king's sons over to his house for a time after the sheep sharing to have a time of celebration. He got permission from his father, David, as he goes, as they all come there, he had already given instructions to his servants. He says, when I give the command, I want you to rise up. And the only one I want you to touch is Amnon. I want you to slay Amnon. He gave the command. All of Absalom's servants, ro- servants rose up. They smote Amnon. They killed him on sight. All the king's sons, of course, there's pandemonium. They don't really know what's going on. They're thinking Absalom's out for all of them. They scatter hither and thither. All the king's sons run for their lives. They're taking off. And uh, then we see where Jonadab rises up. We talked about him last time. And makes his way over there to tell the king, don't worry. The only one that lost his life was Amnon. And and Absalom was the one that did it. Absalom, of course, knows that he's committed a crime. It's a capital crime. It's a crime punishable.
punishable by death. And he realizes he's not, he doesn't know what's going on with, as far as his dad's concerned. But one thing's for sure. Absalom had ill will towards Amnon. And as you read the passage, Absalom had ill will against David. Absalom runs for his life. He runs down to a place called Geshur. Down there at Geshur, if you would, or Talmia. He goes down there to be with his, his maternal grandfather. He wants to be there away from David. And he's down there for three full years. He's running in exile. He knows David will not send anybody down there to bother him. He's down there with his maternal grandfather. Three years goes by. Uh, goes by. During that course of time, of course, David is riveted in his soul. He's broken his heart because he's thinking about the fact that God is chasing him because of his sin with Bathsheba. He already lost the baby, the first baby son, and now he's lost the second son. And the prophecy of of, of the prophet Nathan is coming into effect, where it said that the that. Uh, God would touch the home of David and touch him where he'd feel it the most. And so now David's feeling that. And David, of course, being a father, as much as he was upset with his son Absalom, what Absalom did, his heart was still yearning for Absalom. He wanted to get Absalom back. And he was going through this turmoil in his heart. On one end, he had a son that he knew was wrong and a son that was not right with God. On the other end, as a father, he wanted his son to come back to him. And he wanted to, he just wanted to be with him. And Joab perceived this. And as you read the opening verses here, the Bible says in Joab, in, 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 in 2 Samuel 14, Now, Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived the king's heart was towards Absalom. Now, Joab was a very crafty individual. He was very crafty. He was very subtle. He was very intelligent. When you read that, you would think that that Joab had good intentions in his heart. Joab did not have good intentions. Joab was 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 a man that was seeking to gain whatever advantage he could. Joab was a man who wanted a position. Joab was a devious man. He was a treacherous man. He was a traitor man. He was a man that was close to the king, but he would ultimately betray the king. He was a man that could not be trusted. Yet at the same time, he had earned the right to be the general over all of the nation of Israel. And so David kept him there. David could have dismissed him, but David kept him there. And Joab wanted to get some brownie points. Joab was a little bit more visionary that moment of time than David was. Joab is looking farther ahead as we look at the whole plot going from chapter 14 over to 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2. We realize that Joab is looking much farther down the pipeline than David was. Joab is thinking about the fact the king is old. He's in his 50s. He's messed up. He's been judged for two sons. He's probably going to get judged for more sons. The stuff's going to come out. And he says, you know what? I better position myself so that when there's a, so that it, it could be that Absalom might be king one day. He might be, he might be next in line. And it might be that, uh, it might be because the king's heart's yearning for Absalom that he might want to bring him on as king and try to settle things. I better make some good things there. So Joab conco- conco- concocts this plot, this, this plan where he's going to bring a woman from Tekoa in. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 14, verse 2. He says, and so Joab said to Tekoa and fetched a wise woman. Now circle the word wise. This woman isn't wise from the, from the standpoint that she's prudent and that she's skillful in giving good wisdom. The word wise is the same word that's used to describe Jonadab in chapter 13, which means subtle. She's a subtle woman. He knew this woman. He knew this woman's ability to manipulate and move emotions and to stir hearts. You know, can, I, can you look up here for just a minute? The worst thing to do in a church setting, the worst thing to do in a Sunday school setting or in a club setting is to use your personality to manipulate the emotions of people, to get people to like you and love you. The worst thing you could do or I could do is to manipulate the emotions of people. And Joab knew right there that David was at a place where he can manipulate the emotions of David. And so he brings this woman to Tekoa in and she starts working him and she uses a parable similar to what Nathan did, but it wasn't a holy parable. It was an unholy parable, if I can say that. And she uses this parable to move the emotions of, of King David about two 
two sons who strove with each other and fought, and one killed the other, and the family rose up against against the, 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 the woman and said that you need to kill this one who killed the other. And of course, David is moving. David doesn't realize, but he's been caught up in the emotion of this thing, and he's, he's giving approvals on some things. He's basically in, indicating this woman by saying certain things that, that uh, you know, we need to bring this guy back. And so finally he realizes that there's something behind this, and he asks this woman, who sent you here? And she said, he said, did Joab send you here? And she said he did. And she realized that she had entrapped him and getting him to, re- to recognize that his son was away, he needed to bring Absalom back. While the woman goes back to Joab, says the plan worked, I manipulated his emotions, I got him to where I wanted to be. And so David now is his place, he beckons to have, have Absalom come back. Now notice that, as we, if you would, there, that as a background. Notice what's going on here. Absalom comes back, he's the king's son. Joab brings him back as the king's son. He comes back as the king's son. He's waiting there in his hometown to see his father's face. And during that time, nothing happens there. So you notice here, it's he reaches out to Absalom. It's the king's son reaching out to him. And he wants him to know that he wants to see his father. Now I want you to notice there, not point number one here, the instructional function. I want you to see this evening that God has two mechanisms that he uses to work in your heart and mind. That we must be very cognizant of. The first one is the mechanism of conscience. Now, everyone, if you know anything about conscience, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview tonight. We were born with a conscience. What distinguishes you and me as human beings, as God's prized creation from animals, we have a conscience. Animals don't have a conscience. Can I hear an amen about that? Conscience don't, animals can't choose right from wrong. Human beings can choose right from wrong. We are born with a conscience. It's a key evidence for creation. The conscience is an essential part of a man makeup that he's born with. Our conscience is our moral compass. It helps us determine good from evil, right from wrong, holy and unholy. Consider, for instance, tonight, Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read some scriptures to you tonight. We're going to read a lot of scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 to 21, it says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, verse 19 points to the conscience. He says, for that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. That is an evidence that every person innately knows that there is a God. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You don't need to go to public school you don't need to get a geography book you don't need to get a book about the solar system you don't need to get a book about those things to realize as you look at the wide expanse of the galaxy and the stars will be out and the planets will be out and the sun that comes up by day and the moon that comes up by night and the night from the day, everything that we experience correlates with Genesis chapter 1 and to realize that we are made in the image of God in the sense that we have, we have the ability to discern or to experience uh, the same emotions as God in terms of love and, and so forth like that and mercy and forgiveness. And so there's a, there's a conscience. And the Bible says in verse 19 here, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Notice verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power in God in, so that they are without excuse. God works in the consciences of men. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying all these babies growing up in our church and little kids, and little kids have probably the most purest or most innocent consciences, because when they know they've done something wrong, it shows on their face, amen? It shows in their demeanor, and when they're caught, I mean, they turn flesh red, and they know it's been a terrible thing, and, and their soul bothers them when they're caught with something. Notice Romans chapter 2. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, now Gentiles speaking about non-Jews, they're considered pagans. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, that is the Gentiles, having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Even within the heart of a pagan person who knows nothing about the God of the universe, the God of all salvation, their heart bears witness to them that there is a God and there's right from wrong and there is sin. They know that. Most religions today know that there's some sin. It's just how they water down sin. It's the matter there. There's a conscience. Every one of us has a conscience. In John chapter 8, we read the story as Jesus was dealing with those, those Pharisees who were hardened in their hearts and they brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They actually set this woman up and they brought her to Jesus in the hopes that, that they would trap him there. And as they were holding stones in their hands, ready to stone this woman, the Bible says this in John chapter 8 verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone in her. And and again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. People asked you the question. Do we say, Pastor Fong, what do you think was writing in the, in the ground? I'll tell you what he's writing in ground. You can read about this in Jeremiah 17. I think he was writing out all their sins. Not only was he writing all their sins, I think he was writing down their names. I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you're living in sin, you're away from God, God's got your name. He's got it written down, brother and sister in Christ. And if you think you can get away with some shenanigans and stuff from God, God's got it written down. I'm going to tell you tonight, your sin will find you out tonight. Listen, we look at this situation here, and the Bible says, And they which heard it, be convinced by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. I'm going to tell you tonight, Jesus took that, that sovereign finger of his, that finger that made all of creation. And he started writing in that sand. As he wrote in the sand, I believe he wrote the names of those Pharisees. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, their sins and iniquities, those that forsake me, I'll write their sins in the sand. And listen, you think you can run and you think you can hide and you think you can conceal it. You cannot conceal it from God. God's got his number on you there. And so we notice here this conscience. Carl Henry said this, conscience is that faculty in me which attaches itself to the highest that I know and tells me what is the highest I know that demands that I do. It is the eye of the soul which looks out either towards God or towards that what, what, it, what it regards as the highest authority. Now quickly tonight, the Bible describes different kinds of consciences. Number one, there's a good conscience. You want to have a good conscience. Can I hear an amen? Paul stood before those Pharisees and he says, I have a conscience void of offense before God and before man. His works testified for him. You want to have a good conscience. But sad to say, there's not a lot of good consciences. As we go through the Bible, we realize there's also the necessity, not just a good conscience, but there's necessity of a pure conscience. He told, he told the church at, at Ephesus, he's writing to the pastors and the deacons there. He said those pastors and deacons holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. We're not in the ministry to take and we're not in the ministry to to deceive and we're not in the ministry to manipulate. Listen, we need to uphold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, the Bible says. But there are some who have a weak conscience. First Corinthians eight twelve talks about the weak conscience. Those who are, are not very grounded in the word and they get easily moved by this and easily moved by that. And they get upset about this thing, that and the other. And they get easily offended by things. And then if you'll notice in Hebrews ten twenty two, it talks about the fact that they need to be watched from an evil conscience. And then Titus chapter 1 verse 15 
talks about the fact that there's a defiled conscience. And it talks about unsaved people who refuse to get saved. They have their, their, their conscience is, is unpure and defiled. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, he talks about something that, that is, that, that is restricted to believers as a whole, where they have a seared conscience, a hardened conscience. They've heard, but they do not respond. Listen, there are many kinds of consciences tonight. I wonder this evening as I pause for just a moment, our conscience is an instructional function. God has given us a conscience that is the word of God speaks to us that our conscience should should respond. I wonder tonight, is our conscience good? Is our conscience pure? Is our conscience evil? Is our conscience defiled? Is our conscience weak? What is our conscience? Well, I mean, what is your conscience according to the mirror of God's word tonight? And as we look at the conscience tonight, we must remind ourselves tonight, we are to examine our conscience every day. We're not to examine our conscience. We must guard our conscience all the time. And we must listen to our conscience as it speaks to us. And we must be accountable to our own conscience if we would tonight. Abraham Lincoln, the the story is told that was during the time when he was under fire much during the Civil War for decisions he was making. He made this statement. He made this resolve. He says, I desire to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power and I've lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left and that one friend shall be deep down inside of me. You know what he's saying there? He says, if I have to lose every friend, the one friend I'm going to keep is the conscience that's inside of me. God has given us instructional functions, our conscience. Number two, God has given us a second instructional function. Would you write this down? God's not only given us the conscience, but God has given us a comforter. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. And the comforter only resides in saved, born again people. You're not saved. You're not one of his. For any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. John 14 tells us the first introduction to the comforter. The word comforter means paraclete. The one who comes alongside of us. He says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter or paraclete or good friend that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Later on that same chapter in John chapter 14 verse 26. Would you read that please? But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And then again, while Jesus started on the Holy Spirit... On that same evening, as he's talking to his disciples, now a couple chapters over in John chapter 16, he says something further about the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's given us a whole treatise on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We call that pneumatology in theological terms. In John 16, it says this in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now the Comforter lives inside you the moment you get saved. He doesn't leave you. He's inside you. He indwells you. And the Bible says when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Then in verse 13, he says this, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. Listen tonight. We have the conscience. One of our instructional functions we have tonight, we have our conscience speaking to us, our conscience telling us right from wrong. But coupling that, and even more powerful in your conscience and mind, is the Holy Spirit of God who will guide us into all truth and who is our teacher. 1 John 2.27 tells us this, But the anointing which you have received to Him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it taught you, you shall abide in Him. Now, as I said in a, in a morning service a couple of weeks ago, Verse 1 John 2.27 is not saying, because the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you don't need a pastor and you don't need a local church. 
That's not what it's saying. What it's saying to you in the context of 1 John chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth so you're able to discern truth from error. He's the Spirit of truth who helps you to discern from the Spirit of error. You read about that in 1 John chapter 4. There. It's not saying you don't need to be under the ministry of a pastor or the ministry of the teaching of God's Word. It's not saying that you are a teacher above yourself or that you're somebody above the church there. And see, as we look at this tonight, the Holy Spirit, as we read the Scripture, He is God. And the Holy Spirit tonight is our guide. And the Holy Spirit tonight was given to glorify the Father. And the Holy Spirit was given tonight to reprove you and me of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Listen, tonight, as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be affected by you and by me. Listen to me. Don't mess around. The Holy Spirit can be affected by you and me. We can quench the Holy Spirit's fire. We can quench the Holy Spirit's voice. We can quench the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We may know the Word, and we may have all the knowledge, but if you've quenched the fire of God, you've got no power nor authority from God there. We can quench His fire. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We've got envies and jealousies and bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and clamor and evil speaking and unforgiveness and all those kind of things. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But Stephen goes on by telling those Jews, and he tells us tonight, ye do always resist the Spirit of God. And I'm saying tonight, the Holy Spirit can be affected by your decision. And the Holy Spirit is affected by your attitude. And the Holy Spirit is affected by your thinking. And the Holy Spirit is affected by your thoughts. And the Holy Spirit is affected by your mood at that time. I'm saying tonight, God has given us an instructional function. First of all, it's His conscience. Second, it's the comforter. I'm saying this evening, the Holy Spirit is present tonight. And a conscience is present tonight. Oh, let the Spirit of God work in your heart tonight. We see the instructional function, but you notice secondly as we get to our passage of Scripture. I want you to see what's going on here. I gave you that as background so you can see where we're going. We see a function, which you notice a failure. We see an intentional failure. In our passage... The king's son calls for Joab. Joab is a servant of the kingdom. He's a known personality. The king's son called from once. No answer. The king's son called from twice. No answer. Okay? You're not responding to me. I'm asking you as the king's son to respond to me. He would not respond. He turns to his servants and he says, Joab has a barley field right next to mine. Go burn his barley field. Set it on fire. Let him know that I need his attention. He sent once. He sent twice. The third time he set the barley field on fire. Can I tell you how God works in your conscience, in my conscience, and how the Holy Spirit works in your heart, in my heart? He calls once, He calls twice, the third time He burns that barley field. Can I remind you tonight, the barley field is something important to you. The barley field is something or someone you don't want to lose. The barley field is something valuable to you. The barley field it could be your livelihood. The barley field could be your intellect. The barley field could be your cute personality. The barley field might be your attitude. The barley field is something important to you. It might be the best years of your life. You might be 
be at the prime of life right now. The barley field is something that's important to you that you don't want to lose. And when, listen, when Joab saw that barley field go up in smoke and the flames rising to the sky and the fire burning wildly, and they didn't have fire departments in those days, and they didn't have fire brigades where people could get the water by bucket, and they passed the bucket and get it there. Listen, every moment he delayed, that fire took off. And I imagine that that afternoon that there was a wind that was blowing, and the wind blew the fire, and that fire advanced, and most, if not all, that barley field was consumed. A year's harvest, a year's crop was lost, and he had to figure out, what am I going to do? I don't have crop insurance. I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. He lost his entire barley field. The barley field is something that's important to you. This barley field is something you might think is irreplaceable. The barley field is something, when it's set on fire, you will feel the loss in your pocketbook, and you're going to feel the loss in your heart, and you're going to feel the loss in your crying, and you're going to feel the loss when it comes about. The barley field is something, when it happens, you're going to feel God's touch upon your life at that moment of time. God calls once. He calls twice. A third time, he burns the barley field. Would you notice God calls for service? God calls for service. Service is not an option. Service is a calling of God. You go to Matthew chapter 9. I want you to read some scripture. Would you turn there, please? Matthew chapter 9. Don't look at your notes. Please turn to the Bible. God's word's inspired. The notes are not inspired. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. I want you to read some scriptures with me tonight. Then saith he to his disciples, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then we're going to jump to chapter 10. Then he saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, they will send forth labors into his harvest. Now look up here before we read chapter 10. The king's son told us the objective of the local New Testament church. Right here we have the seed beginnings of the church. We find an ecclesia being formed here in chapter 10 verse 1. Amen? Know your Bible? That's an ecclesia he's calling out. It's a called out assembly. It began with those apostles. They weren't apostles at that moment of time. And Jesus Christ was standing there and he looked out into the fields and he said, listen, I want you to look with me. These fields are white into harvest. He says, listen, the Lord of the harvest is praying for laborers. The one prayer request that God wants us to pray for, the one prayer request that seemingly is not getting answered enough, that's not seeing the hand of God enough on, is that there be more laborers for the harvest. And you look up here tonight, church. Listen, the purpose of the church is not to have your cute little fellowship and to have your little ethnic group over here and to have your little Bible study over here and to give your little cute refreshments over here or to get them to a place where you think your little cute personality is going to shine somewhere and you get somebody's approval in your life. The purpose of the local New Testament church is to see people saved, to see them disciples and God working the lives of men and calling laborers into the harvest of God tonight. Listen tonight, too many of us are ignoring the call of God for service. God wants service for God to preach and go out to the harvest fields and fill them up. Listen, the only business in all the world that has more abundance of opportunity and less number of labors is the service of the work of God right now. And some of you parents right now tonight, you're holding back your sons and you're holding back your daughters. And some of you adults, you're here tonight and you're enjoying your riches and you're enjoying your wealth. You're enjoying all those things. And I'm telling you in the midst of a building program, I'm not building that building to entertain you and to waste your money. I'm building that building because we need servants of God to go into that harvest right now. And so you look at chapter 10, verse 1. When he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. Heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Do you notice verse 1? He called unto him. 
The Lord calls. By the way, praise God, he called once and they responded. He prayed over them and he prayed once. They came, they responded. And whom God calls, God empowers. He gave them power. You can't contrive the power, beloved. You don't have it. Get out of it. He gave them the power. He gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave them power to heal all manner of sickness. And now I want you to notice something else is very, very important tonight. Because we're going to stand before God as to how we responded to the call. In verse 2, he gives us the names of the men and their roll call. And I wonder tonight, as you look at verses 2 and 4, I wonder, is there any bit at any time in this room, any time in your Christian life, you sat in a service like this, and you heard your name called, you heard the Holy Spirit say, Alan, you need to preach. Come on. Go ahead. Come on. And you said, no. Right. Alan, you need to be a soul winner. And you said, no. Come on, Alan, you need to follow the preacher and follow what the preacher is trying to help you find. And you said, no. Go ahead, Twelve men were called. Twelve men responded. Go with me Acts chapter 13. Hurry. Acts chapter 13. Verse 1. Purpose of the local Testament church is to send out laborers. Our purpose tonight is to assemble here to, hit, to wait for the call of God. For God to work in our hearts. Notice at the church in Antioch, it was the healthiest church at that time. There was in the church of Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Hey, listen, this church had gone from Barnabas being the sole teacher in that place where he became so healthy and was so, uh, was, was so blessed of God. Now there were five preacher teachers that they had there, all five men of equal caliber as far as God being used. And the Bible lists their names. There was there at the church, they said certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, of course, is named first because he was the senior pastor of that work of God. And the Bible says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, that is, as they were serving sacrificially, as they were just giving their best and all for Christ, as they ministered to the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Ghost said, not a pastor said, not some celebrate celebrity that came to the church said, the Holy Ghost spoke to the church at that moment and spoke to that pastor and spoke to those five teachers and spoke to that congregation and said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work we're in to I've called. I'm saying it tonight. God calls for service, brothers and sisters. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The calling of God is irreversible. The calling of God is one you cannot run from. The calling of God is distinct. The calling of God is for a purpose. And by the way, the calling of God is to be obeyed. Is He calling you? Did you mess up and miss his calling? Did you make a bad choice along the way? You disqualified yourself so you cannot be called? And I will give you an example. Go with me to the book of Jonah. Quickly, go with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, a messenger of God from a city called Gath-hefer. The Bible says in verse 1 and 2, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is coming before me. Hey, it's very simple. It wasn't a long... He didn't have to listen to a 45-minute sermon to know God called him. He knew at that moment God called him. 
And God said, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I need you to get it. He'd already been in the ministry. Listen to me tonight. He's already in the ministry. And God called me. He knew it was the voice of God. And God said, Jonah, I need you to go up. And I've got a city I want you to go to. He's a missionary. God said, I want you to be a missionary to the city of Nineveh. You understand Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyrian had, Assyria was slaughtering people by the droves. Assyrian was a barbarian nation. Assyria was a terrible nation. Listen, the crucifixion reached its heights during the, the, during the Assyrian Empire. And the cruelty of the punishment that happened to believers happened during the Assyrian Empire right there. And listen, the Assyrians tormented and hurt the Jews. And the Jews, to be honest with you, the Jews were extremely prejudiced and biased against the Assyrians. And when, when that old prophet Jonah heard that, he had no desire of going there. If there was any place on all planet Earth he did not want to go to, he did not want to go to Syria. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to preach message and he's probably arguing with God and thinking God why don't you send one of my contemporaries why don't you send one of these other guys here and why don't you send this preachers in training but the call of God came distinctly to Jonah but I want you to notice verse 3 Jonah refused to call Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish let me tell you something you can always find a ship wherever you want to go You can always make a way where God has not made a way. He paid the fare thereof. You're going to pay a price if you run from God. And he went down into it. By the way, when you pay that price, there's only one way you go. You go down. You never go up. He called once. He called once. Jonah ran. Go down with me. Verses 8 to 10. He's asleep on the ship. God sends a storm. The storm is shaking everybody except Jonah. It's amazing. A Christian who gets away from God, world events, there could be calamities. It doesn't bother them. They used to have a burden for souls. It doesn't bother them. Hey, the time to have a burden for souls is before they die, not after they die. Did you hear what I said? The time to have a burden for souls is not after they die. It's when they, before they die. Then said, then said they unto him, Tell me, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And what people art thou? He's in a corner. I'm a Hebrew. Well, that sent ripples through their spine. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Hey, look here. God called once. He paid the fare and boarded the ship. God called twice to the storm. These men confront him. God used unsafe people. Listen to me tonight. Hey, look up here. You think you can run from God? God will use unsafe people to confront you. How do they? Through a lawsuit. Closure, closure, something in your life. Some kind of thing that's going to happen legally get your attention there. He used unsaved people to call. God called once. God called twice. Listen, the third time he stood in response. Those men came to him. He had an opportunity by the grace of God to respond. And Justin Jonah did not respond. And guess what? They threw him overboard and God prepared a whale to swallow him up. You say, well, God saved him. No, he was still not done being chastened at that moment of time. God called once. God called twice. God burned his barley field. Preacher was in a revival campaign in the state of Texas, and I could say who it was and where it was. 
The church he was preaching in, similar to a lot of Midwest church, I preach in some Midwest churches there, and they all have prophet chambers, and they have prayer closets, which is kind of interesting. And the preacher that was preaching the revival campaign, he asked the pastor, he said, Pastor, can I use your, can, I need to find a place to pray. I just, I, if you don't mind, I don't want to, I don't want to re- spend the time going out and sightseeing. I just need to go pray. I'm, I'm getting ready to preach tonight. And the preacher said, the pastor said, sure, sure. I got a prayer closet right over here. And he took him this little room that was isolated where there's two chairs there and a little lampstand, kind of, kind of like the prophet's chamber that Elisha and Elijah had. And he said, I just want you, why don't you go over to my, my, my prayer closet over there and just shut the door behind you. And you will have all the privacy you want. And you get alone with God. You talk with God. And the preacher went inside there. The evangelist went inside there. And as he looked inside, he saw two walking braces that were against the wall. And the preacher's kind of stumped in his mind. He's thinking, what in the world? What are these two walking braces? The preacher, does, he's not, he doesn't look like he's got walking problems of any kind. And so it kind of just got on his conscience there for a minute. And so he, before he closed the door, he grabbed those two braces. And he walked to say, Pastor, Pastor, can I talk to you for just a minute? He said, yeah, preacher, what do you want? He said, I just, I could, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what's going on with these? What's going on with these braces? You better listen to me tonight. Pastor dropped his head. He went like this. He said, Preacher, those braces belong to my son. My son's got polio. Tears coming down his face. He said, Preacher, long before I became past this church, God had been working my heart. God called me to be a preacher. God put his hand on me and says, you're to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I kept putting God off. I put, kept putting God off. I kept saying, no, Lord, no, Lord. God touched my son and gave him polio. My son walks like this. been like since he was a toddler as he gets older they give him new braces the ones he's retired I put in my office to remind me that God called me once God called me twice and I refuse God calls us to service God calls us to service God calls us to service God calls men to preach God calls men to preach God calls us to service. Number two, God calls out our sin. God calls out our sin. Proverbs 29.1 He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God calls once. God calls twice. God burns a barley field. Would you go with me to Ruth chapter 1 tonight? Would you go with me to Ruth chapter 1? Ruth chapter 1. Notice verse 1 and 2. 
It came to pass the days when the judges ruled. And that's important for us to understand. It was a day and time when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If you have that independent spirit in you, that's sin. For we know to do right and we do it not, it is sin. And he says, now it came to pass the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, and if you never studied this passage, Bethlehem, Judah means the house of God in bread. Actually, the house of, uh, of, uh, house of bread and praise. And he went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And in the name, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of, of, of Moab and continued. Would you watch what's going on? There's a famine in the land. As you know from all the studies we've done over the last two years, as we've been going through the kings, God sent famines to the, to the, to the, the people of Israel. He told them in Deuteronomy chapter 11, if you live for me, you worship me, and you don't have other idols, he says, listen, I will take care of you and I'll send rain from heaven to take care of you. But the moment you start going away, you don't return. He said, I will send a famine to land. I'll hold back the rain and your land will be parched and your crops will be lost and you'll have famine and all these types of things. And listen, they were living during the time of the judges and there was a great famine in the land. And so here's this man, Elimelech, the householder, the breadwinner. Elimelech makes a decision. He talked with his wife, Naomi. They conspired together and they say, listen, listen, we heard there's job opportunities down in Moab. We heard there's job opportunities and there's bread and there's food and abundance and there are things we can do and there's much more opportunity. We need to go down to Moab. Listen, they were at a place in their life they thought, well, God can't take care of us here in Bethlehem, Judah and God's not ministering to our soul in Bethlehem, Judah. So let's go down to Moab because there's stuff down in Moab and our sons can find daughters down there to marry down in Moab and we can find a place where we can live and we can buy affordable housing down in Moab and we can get food in abundance in Moab and we can get discounts by the dozen in Moab and we can have a place we can go to and we can be in Moab and we won't have some cockeyed preacher telling us what to do and preaching the word to us. And we can skip church if we want to skip church. And we can live in the world all we want to live. And they went down to Moab. Elimelech dies. God called once. Naomi knew deep down in her heart as you study through the scripture there. Naomi knew it was a bad decision. She knew it was a bad choice. When you're in sorrow, your mind is going in a lot of revolutions. Your heart is in turmoil. God was trying to get her attention. She wasn't listening. And she lingered down there farther. You'll notice in verse 2, they were down there in the country of Moab. And the Bible says in verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. She stayed there long enough to grow her sons through the school system of Moab. And to get them involved in all the social function and the immersion program and all these popular things. And they found their wives, not in a local New Testament church. They found their wives at a nightclub down in Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And isn't this amazing? They dwelled there for how many more years? Ten more years. I'm 60. I remember when I turned 50. Ten years goes by fast. Twenty years goes by fast. God called once. 
God took Elimelech home. Now look what happens here. Verse 5. Malan and Killian died. Also both of them. The woman was left her two sons. Her husband. God called once. God called once. He took Elimelech. God called twice. She waited ten more years. They took them wives. They were totally immersed with the Moabab people. God burned her barley field when he took his when he took her two sons, Malan and Killian. Would you listen to me tonight? I've learned this the hard way. We preach faith. We talk about faith. But can I ask you a question? Do you trust God with your family? Do you trust God for your family? Do you really think? Do you really? And I'm not condemning anybody. Don't, don't get, I'm not condemning them. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying. Do you really think Stanford University and Boston University, UCLA, do you, do you really think those schools are improving upon the will of God. Huh? Do you really think that? Do you really think that you compartmentalize your life and here's my church life. Here's my 20 minute devotion, if you even have that. And here's my 10 hour, 12 hours a day of my job and my investing all these other things. You compartmentalize. Do you really think, listen to me tonight. Do you really think you're really saying to God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my time. I trust you with my family. I really trust you for the outcome. God calls once. God calls twice. Third time, God burns the barley field. Quickly look at the book of Judges and go with me to chapter 16. The judge that preceded, or may have even been the judge during the time of Naomi and Elimelech, was Samson. His name is kind of an interesting name. His name means sunshine. Samson had a weakness when it came to women and popularity. He had several close encounters with the Philistines. If you read chapter 15 and correlate the chronology, in chapter 15, he gets a revival. In verse 19, he says, God clave a hollow, in chapter 15, verse 19, he says, God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout, and when he had drunk, his spirit came again, he revived, wherefore he called the name of that place, uh, Enkakore, which, which is in Lehi to this day, basically means the, the hollow place that God clave out. You got revival. God met him out there in the wilderness. There was no water there, and he was thirsty. Listen, I don't know about you tonight. You ought to be thirsty for God's word, amen? You ought to be thirsty for God's presence, thirsty for God's power, and thirsty for God to do something tonight. And man, he was thirsty. He was a man that was, that was, he was a man extraordinary as far as God's power, but he even got thirsty. And he said, God, did you just leave me here to languish? I don't know about you, but between the morning service and the night, I told God, I said, God, I'm thirsty. I need to have something I don't have, God, right now. God claimed a hollow place out for him, and water gushed out. He revived. 
And let me tell you tonight, maybe some of us need to go someplace where God needs to clave out a hollow place on the jaw and give us some water to revive us tonight. And so, this revival, you get chapter 16, it's a disaster. Chapter 16 is a total disaster. He messes up in the beginning of the chapter. God called once. Then he gets involved with Delilah. And three times Delilah is trying to get him to tell her the source of her strength, his strength. Remember that? It's right there. At least three times. She wears him out. He's playing this game with her. And he, she does what she does best. She just wears him away with her constant. Just wearing him out. Samson. Samson. Night and day. Night and day. Night and day. Notice chapter 16, what it says about Samson here. Verse 16 says, And when it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, Notice this. So the soul was vexed unto death. And this verse 17. Remember, God called once. God called twice. He told her all his heart. And said, there has not come a razor into my head. For I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me. And I shall become weak. And shall be like any other man. God called once. God called twice. He told her the secret of his strength. He told her all his heart. You listen to me tonight. There's only two people in your life you better tell all your heart to. God and your spouse. God and your spouse. Or your parents. She put him to sleep. What a sad place in life to be. When you've compromised so much, you could sleep through that compromise. They shore the locks of his hair off. The Bible says he rose at other times. But the Bible says he could not. They blinded his eyes out. They bound his hands. They put him in a dungeon. And he spent the next several years grinding like this. He couldn't see. God called once. God called twice. The third time, God burned his barley field. God calls us out of sin. May I remind you of number 16? Of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. God called once to Korah. He called the second time to Dathan and Byram. They rebelled against Moses. They said, you take too much upon you. You got too many responsibilities. You're not taking care of the people. We are taking your place. We are going to, we're, we're, we, we don't have to submit to you, Moses. And God told Moses, you better tell the children of Israel, you better separate yourself from that bunch. Because I'm coming down. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to deal with them. God called once. God called twice. The third time, God sent an earthquake, opened up the earth, and swallowed them up. 
Third time, God burned the barley field. You see, you're trying to scare me. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. I try to scare you, not manipulate. Tell you what the Bible says. The king's son sent to Joab. He called once. He called twice. Third time he burned the barley field. God calls us to service. God calls us out of sin quickly. God calls you to be saved. All right, think about the rich man in Luke chapter 12. In the midst of his explosive prosperity. Not one time did he think about God. And when he reached a place of what I would describe as financial independence, I will build barns and make many. And he had all these elaborate plans. In the midst of the prime of his life, he said, I will make barns. And he said one night, soul, thou hast done well. Eat, drink, and be merry. Listen, God spoke to him through his prosperity. God spoke to him that night, sir, you're going off the deep end. Listen, the third time, God took his life. The rich man in Luke 16. Lazarus is right outside his gate. Lazarus was a believer. Lazarus was poverty stricken. Lazarus was a man that was broken and he had to beg for food because that's all he knew. There wasn't no government assistance. He didn't have any relatives. Nobody there to help him. But he gave a witness to that rich man. The rich man died just like, by the way, rich men died just like poor men. They all die alike. The angels of God took Lazarus into the bosom of Abraham. Rich man died and was buried. When he opened his eyes, he looked up from hell. God calls us to be saved. Listen to me tonight. Are you faking it? Are you really saved? Or did you just pray a prayer? Well, I got baptized. I didn't ask you that. I, did you get saved? Did you repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I need to get saved? Because God calls once. God calls twice. The third time he burns the barley field. The Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a terrible failure to put off God's call to serve, to put off sin, or to not get saved. We see intentional failures. I close and I want you to look one last thing. We're done. We see the instructional function. God gives us a conscience. And God gives us a comforter. We see an intentional failure. Joy, I've heard the call. The king's son called him once. The king's son called him twice. He said, I need to get your attention. Your barley field's right next to mine. He told his servants, go set it on fire. That barley field got burned on fire. And by the time he saw it, it was too late. I want you to see one last thing we're done. The instructional function. Intentional failure. But you notice the invitational forbearance. Don't worry about spelling and all that. I don't want you to worry about that. We want you to see God's still calling tonight. God's inviting. God's not done yet. Aren't you glad about that? He's still inviting. He's still saving. He's still calling to service. He's still giving us opportunity to get out of sin. I'm not taking anything for granted. You say it's the cream of the crop. It's the cream of the crop. But we all have sinful natures. 
And I remind you, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 3, very quickly, go to Hebrews chapter 3, notice verses 7 and 8, we're done. God, through Hebrews, was speaking to believers who got used to the faith and got crusty and became doubtful. And they were putting off things and he had to speak to them. Hebrews chapter 3 and he said in verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, and tonight the Holy Ghost saith, Today, not tomorrow, not one hour from now, today, if you'll hear his voice, did you hear his voice tonight? Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. He's talking to them, he's taking them back to a rich incident in their Jewish history. There, when they turned their backs on God and would not, they rebelled and murmured against God. They said, how come we have no water here? And they rebelled against He says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation. The water is what I'm going to say tonight. God is long-suffering towards us. Tonight could be the first call. Tonight might be the second call. It might even be the third call. I'm just saying to you tonight, God has not given up on us. He's forbearing. He's forgiving. He's inviting. He's knocking on our door. Listen, the church at Laodicea had gotten so far away from God. The description of that church, they were rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And listen, it ought to bother you tonight. If you're sitting in the pew, you're in a class, sitting in a pew somewhere, and no one's moved to do something for Christ, and they're not serving God, and they don't have a desire to be in church, there's something spiritually wrong there. There's a lukewarmness that has crept into your soul that is robbed you of the joy of the Lord. He calls once. He calls twice. And Jesus told that church at Laodicea, which, by the way, it said it made him sick. He said, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. You know what Jesus said? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's outside the door of the church. And here's the sad thing. He should be in here. And we should be the one knocking the door. He's on the outside asking us to come, if he can come in. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man, do you hear his voice tonight? If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and sup with him and he with me. A man named Robert Strand wrote a book entitled Moments for Mothers. I was going to share this last week and I didn't. He's talking about a family like most families have conflicts. And this family lived in Glasgow, Scotland. In typical families, there's a, a young lady in the home that became rebellious. It's just she's struggling with her teen years. And it was, it, was, it was heartbreaking for her mother and father. And finally they had a face-off and she said, Mom and Dad, I... Your values are not my values. I don't want your faith. And she said, we've got to part ways. Mom and dad didn't know what to say. They were shell-shocked. They're, what? She walked off. Didn't bring her clothes with her. Just walked off. She wandered all over Scotland. Neither say the mom and dad heartbroken many nights the mom wept her heart out her pillow was drenched with the tears of that mother heartbroken she wanted a life with no restraints and to be liberated 
from the rules and regulations. But just like the prodigal son, she ran out of money. She found out those weren't her real friends. Those friends that are telling you to get off on drugs and get off the wrong way, they are not your friends. Can you leave church? They are not your friends. And she got so low in life, she wound up at a rescue mission for survival just to get a bowl of soup and a piece of bread. That night as she was drinking the soup, she didn't see her reflection there. She imagined the face of her mother. She pushed the bowl of soup away abruptly left the rescue mission and started walking the streets of Glasgow. She turned a corner somewhere. She doesn't even know where she was at. She found an 8.5 by 11 poster. It was on a wall. Her mother had plastered these posters all over Glasgow looking for her daughter. And on this poster was a picture of her mother and it And scrawled on it on the bottom, it said this. I love you. Please come home. I love you. Please come home. The girl looked at the picture of her mother. And for just a moment, it was a snapshot moment. The Holy Spirit spoke to her heart. Tears ran down like rivers down her eyes. She thought very hard that moment. What am I going to do? I've shamed my mother, shamed my dad. They were right. The preacher of the church I went to was right. And her pride started to swell up and she started thinking, should I go home? They don't care. They don't really care. Maybe this is this old poster. But she remembered not only the picture, but she remembered her mother crying when she left the home. And she made a quick decision that moment. She said, I think I'm just going to go home anyway. And very hurriedly, in a rag muffin appearance, she made her way back to her home. She walked all the way there. There was no public transportation. She came to that familiar porch, that familiar front door entry. And honestly, she was a little bit scared. She was very, very scared. She went up to the door, and as she knocked, the door went open. And she thought, what? It's the middle of the night. Why is the door open? And a survival instinct kicked into this girl that moment. She thought, oh, maybe someone came in and hurt my mother. I wonder if my mother's all right. And she wasn't thinking about herself at that moment. And she wasn't worried about what she did wrong. All she thought about that moment was, I know I've got a mother that loves me. And I wonder if my mother's still alive. And she hurriedly made her way through the house and got to her mother's bedroom. And she pushed the door open. She said, Mother! And she looked and her mother woke up out of bed. And she says, Oh, you came home. Mother, are you all right? Mother, are you all right? And she threw herself on her mother and embraced her mother. And they're both crying and sobbing. The mother was not prepared for that moment. 
The daughter really didn't know what to say. And she found it very hard to say, Mom, I'm sorry. Mom, I'm sorry I hurt. She just couldn't get it out of her. After a long period of time, as they were holding each other and the tears were being shed, she asked her mother a question, Mom, I saw the picture. She said, she said I saw the picture and the word says, I love you. Please come home. I came home tonight, Mom. I have a question for you. Why was the door open? How come you didn't bolt the door? How come the door wasn't locked? Aren't you scared that someone would hurt you? The mother said this. She said, no, dear. From the day you left, that door has never been locked. I can remind you tonight, if we're far away from God, the door to God is not locked. Aren't you glad about that tonight? It's not locked tonight. And the call to service can still be obeyed. The call from sin can still be obeyed. And the call to getting saved can be accepted tonight. The door has not been locked. The door is open. His invitational forbearance. The king's son called to Joab. He called once. He called twice. The third time, he burned the barley field. Do you have that video? That's your field burning? You see the smoke? You see the irreplaceable damage? Do you feel the loss in your pocket? The loss in your heart? Is that your field burning? Could that be your field burning? Is that your field? He calls once. He calls twice. The third time, he burns the barley fields. Father, tonight, have your own way. I'm not going to delay right now. In fact, I'm not even going to ask us to play. Let's not play. We're not going to play anything tonight. He calls once. He's calling now. Would you come? Would you get out of your seat somewhere? Find your way at the altar tonight. He calls once. He calls twice. Is there a barley field that's about to get ready to get set on fire? You're having a submission issue? And by the way, we all have a submission issue. He's going to burn your barley field. Did he call you to service and you ignored it? Is there a sin? I didn't even get into that tonight. I wonder if there's a Samson here tonight. You've enjoyed the blessings of God, but man, you're, you're dilly-dallying with... You're a little bit too close to the, to the sin, sin situation. And I wonder tonight if there's a family tonight where you're, you're kind of like Elimelech and Naomi. You're, you're just like thinking, well, you know, we, we, we don't really sure we could trust God. We, we, we can trust ourselves. He calls once. He calls twice. And by the way, by the way, how's your attitude tonight? He deals with our attitudes. 
Stephen told those Jews, you do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. Beloved, tonight, let God have His way. The holiness of this moment. Get serious with God. Deacons, I'll ask you tonight if you'll find your way with your wives and pray for the church tonight. Our church needs prayer. Staff members, you find your way down the aisle. Our church needs prayer tonight. Joab wasn't being honest. Joab was trying to cover up. He called once. He called twice. Third time he burned the barley field. I'm asking my wife to play half thine own way. We're just going to play. Let's stand. If you still need to come, don't delay. There's an opportunity. He's, going to, he's calling. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You need to come. Don't rush tonight. Don't rush. Hey, there ought to be a lot of us tonight that bring our little children and say, Lord, they're your children anyway. Pray that God will raise up some Samuels. Pray that God will raise up some children who have a heart for God. God would raise up some Esthers like in the Bible. Could be that maybe in our nursery there's an Apostle Paul. Could be in our nursery there's a Elijah and Elisha, a Nehemiah. Pastor Gene preached this morning our Chinese part about King Asa. Could it be there's a King Asa in his early years? We need some time with God tonight. He called once. He called twice. Third time, he burned the barley field. Father, tonight we look at this passage of Scripture. It's extremely sobering and very riveting tonight. gifts and calling of God are without repentance you call 12 men out you call them by name you gave them the gifts they needed to serve you the local church is not for our fantasy the local church is to fulfill the prayer request of the Savior there be labors for the harvest I feel like Lord we're so far behind Father, help us not to keep pushing off and pushing off. Thank you for your people. They're great people and loving people. Lord, you didn't put this past of Scripture there in the Scriptures by accident or by mistake. And you knew even the timing of the preparation for the sermons. This is what we needed. This is what I needed. So, Father, I committed your hand. Have your own way tonight. Thank you for victories. Thank you for decisions. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you the door is not locked. We can push and it's wide open. Lord, tonight, I pray there would be no barley fields that go on fire. Instead, I pray there would be people that get on fire to go into the fields that are wide into harvest and win souls and to bring them in. Bless this week. Help everyone here this evening to have a great devotion week. A time of prayer. Of soul searching. Humility before God. And to build the church. 
Go after souls. Live for Christ. I pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.